You're listening to the Wellness Game Podcast. I'm Stephanie Game. I'm a holistic health practitioner who's been through chronic illness myself. I consider wellness to be a combination of foundational practices, detox, and rebuilding health. But there's always many moving parts to health in general. So a sense of curiosity and lightness definitely helps. Welcome to the Wellness Game. Hi, welcome to the podcast, Rebecca. Um, Today I have my friend, Rebecca Stump. She's a fellow FDN and um, she's going to talk to us today about thermography. And just like I love to do with most of my guests, I wanted to just kind of let her introduce herself and kind of just share your qualifications, Rebecca, share the things that, um, you know, kind of make your story. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. I'm really excited to be here and just kind of talk about thermography and the ins and outs of that. I feel like so many people have no idea what the heck thermography is. So here I am. For sure. Yay. Well, yeah. Tell us about um, kind of how you came to the world of thermography, holistic health. Uh, You know, I don't know if you started there or how you got there, but yeah, share a little bit of that. Yeah. So it started back a little ways in my family. Um, My grandmother had breast cancer Mm. and by the time the mammogram spotted it, I think it was like stage three and my mom was 30 years old when I believe she passed. And so she was told at a young age to start doing mammograms. And so, um, she just, she had one done and then in kind of her intuition and gut instincts, she was like, this doesn't seem right. Just kind of pressing super hard, the radiation exposure. And for her, she felt like, you know, they talk about early detection all the time and it wasn't really early detection for her mother. And so it was just kind of this mixed experience and story that pushed her to look into different imaging options. So at that time, she, or shortly after that, she discovered thermography for herself. And then later she became a naturopath and nutritionist and added that into her services in her practice. So I was able to kind of grow up thinking that natural ways are a little bit more normal than they probably were at that time. That's amazing. (laughs) It's grown in popularity. Yeah. So um, I was really blessed with that and then started working for her and decided to get certified to be a thermographer in 2009. So that's when I started doing it in her practice. And then when she retired in 2014, she was like, you know what, you're helping me run the business. Like, you know, the ins and outs of all of this. Let's talk to the organization and see if this is something you can continue to do. So that's where Thermography of Houston was born. And um, it's just been really awesome since then. And I think, you know, building those relationships with patients over the years and they were like, please don't stop doing this. We love you. We don't want to go anywhere else. And it's like, okay, this is confirmation and um, just kind of gives you that push to keep going. And so it's been such a blessing and Also, that's kind of how I got into FDN or functional diagnostic nutrition Mm -hmm. was that um, over the years, seeing people come to me over and over with um, certain health conditions where 
I guess working with my mom, I saw so many different ways you can do assessments and help people. And so I would ask them like, you know, you've got this ongoing gut issue that hasn't improved. What has your doctor looked into? What have they, you know, investigated or um, helped you with? And so that was super frustrating because, and I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but there was a lot of times where they were going to a quote unquote functional doctor and they were kind of tunnel vision on their thyroid or giving them bioidentical hormones and not really looking at the whole picture, not really digging, digging yeah. into the gut. I'm thinking, why haven't they had further evaluation here? This is huge. So it was literally born out of frustration for my patients where I was like, they deserve better than this. And this is super frustrating. And I don't know who to refer to. Um, the few people that I felt like I could trust is a long wait to get in or super expensive, you know, a little bit less accessibility for people. So yeah. one of my colleagues um, told me about FDN. And I was like, no way. This is awesome. This is such a great solution for so many people coming to my office that want this type of health care. Um, but don't have access to it. So yeah, I love what you just said about um, people you would refer to being so expensive or the wait just being crazy long. And that can be so frustrating, that accessibility to because, yeah, it's holistic healthcare because truly you're looking at the whole person. Like I know we're trained, you know, when we in the FDN program that we both went through, like you're trained, you look at the person as a whole. You have to look at all the body systems together. Like you're saying, you can't just look at the thyroid or even just breast thermography specifically. Mm -hmm. You don't just wonder what's going on here in the in the breasts, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but that's so and I love, you know, I love modern medicine. I love all the all of the ways that we need it and use it. But a lot of times specializing and chopping the body up into specialties, we miss so much. Do you see that right. through when you are doing, um, you know, I don't, I, I always want to say thermogram, but I don't think that's the right way to say No, it. actually. Okay. So there's thermography, okay. which is like the umbrella term. And then if you say thermogram, it's like the actual image okay. that you're referring to or the actual scan. Whereas thermography can be applied to so many different like military uses or industrial sure. uses. Whereas thermogram is more of like referring to the image, kind of like okay. mammogram versus mammography. Okay. They're, it, one in the same, really. So if some of uh, my listeners have never heard of thermography and they're like, right. what are you even talking about? Can you give us like the broad brushstroke of what Absolutely. is it applied in kind of this health realm versus, you know, military realm or something like that? Right, right. So really, honestly, the big thing is that it's a technology that's looking at the infrared spectrum of light and energy. So as human beings, we produce a lot of heat just through our natural metabolism processes. So that energy is coming off of the surface of the skin. And what's really interesting is that our sympathetic nervous system is constantly responding and reacting to different processes internally. So let's say you have an ear infection. Pretty sure if you feel that ear, it's kind of hot. Sure. Because that internal process is, is increasing um, inflammation and heat 
And so what's interesting with a thermography in a medical perspective is that we're not just looking for hot spots. That's what most people think of. Mm. Oh, we're looking for inflammation. We're looking for something hot. But with the sympathetic nervous system and how it's correlating to issues internally, um, there can be conditions such as like cardiovascular issues or lung issues or progressed osteoarthritis. Certain mm. conditions or certain functional issues can come up as a coldness in the body. Okay. So if you think from more of like an acupuncture, maybe this is a little mm -hmm. more relatable for people. You think about the chi or the energy flow and mm -hmm. kind of balancing and homeostasis and yes. kind of leveling it all out. That's essentially what we want to see in thermography. So if we see one side of the body is warmer than the other reflecting point or the other um, mirrored side, like if you think of the chest, for example, mm -hmm. we want to see kind of even layers of inflammation or not inflammation, but um, metabolic activity on okay. both sides. The bigger the difference, the more likely there is to be something wrong. Okay. Yeah. So balance. You're saying yeah. balance is what we're looking for. Absolutely. Not too hot, not too cold, a little Goldilocks. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Yes. And every area is different. So a lot of people are looking at their skin and they're like, oh my gosh, there's a red area or there's a blue area. Mm -hmm. And there's certain um, temperature ranges that are normal for different areas of the body. Okay. So the doctors are trained on what's normal for which area. They check those temperatures. They check the symmetry from side to side. They take all those considerations before they determine what's going on. There are certain patterns that can be more vascular or muscular or fascia or and so on and so on. So thermography, I, I tend to associate it, you know, just with breast thermography, but I, I know that that's not the case, right? Like you can do full body um, thermography, right? Can you speak to, I guess, kind of the different ways that you use it in your practice? Sure. So we love doing full body scans, especially for someone who has family history of certain conditions, or um, they just, you know, they're like at that point in their age where they know they need to make their health a little bit more of a priority. They're not sure where to get started or if there's anything they need to be aware of. And so a full body scan is a great way to just kind of have a full check of if there's any areas that are stressed, inflamed, dysfunctional, and then they can go take that information to their doctor or practitioner and dig deeper in those areas. So for instance, we had a, I don't know, 30 something year old female come in and her thyroid came up. And also she had a pattern for immune dysfunction. So I told her, I was like, you know, I recommend this for everybody, but especially for you to get a thyroid panel that is including your antibodies because you've got this immune dysfunction going on. I want to make sure that your doctor checks for TPO antibodies or something like that. So sure enough, she was full-blown Hashimoto's flare happening and it explained a lot of the symptoms she was experiencing and um, so that was a really neat story for her to kind of get the ball rolling forward instead of just constantly wondering what's happening and doctors kind of minimizing things so yeah and I think especially with with women things like thyroid or any kind of 
adrenal issue or energy issue or hormonal imbalance, it takes such a long time, I think, on average to figure out what's going on. You know, from symptom onset of, oh, I feel tired or I feel fatigued or I feel irritable or something's off, it takes such a long time <laughs> to get I like a diagnosis. You're you know? a young mom. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you're tired. Right. right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard to troubleshoot that. So I love, I love that idea of using thermography to almost see it before, before that, you know, be able to early troubleshoot. And that's one of the reasons I love, um, and was kind of exploring thermography, um, for specifically for breasts. Um, how I came to thermography is, uh, I had finished breastfeeding my second baby and was having all this breast tenderness and pain after weaning my baby. And I couldn't figure out. And of course, you know, worst case scenario, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I probably have <laughs> breast cancer, you know, panic. Um, and I had a really great midwife, very holistic minded, of course, midwife. And she said, why don't you get a thermogram done instead of, you know, instead of going the other route, you know, just see if maybe there's something going on. And that was so life-changing for me because once you go down the rabbit hole of looking at thermography specifically for breast imaging, it's so incredible. So I wanted, I wanted to like give you the, the spotlight to be able to talk about um, why that's so beneficial for breast imaging. Yes. And I think maybe the reason why thermography for breast imaging is so much more of a focused topic than the rest of the body. Maybe it's because of the, you know, standard tool that we're using in mammograms and kind of the downsides of it that makes thermography so attractive for this. But um, yeah. So where do you want me to start with this topic, honestly? Because you can speak as truthfully <laughs> as you want to, because I, I think my perspective is there's a place for both, right? Oh, like, 100%. I'm not saying mammograms are terrible. Please avoid. Not at all. I, what I think is so attractive like you said, is the early detection that we can see um, before maybe you could catch it with traditional imaging. So maybe give us some education in that area. So much I want to share. So uh, with thermography, I mean, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but just to kind of cover the bases, there's no radiation there's no contact with the body. So not even like an ultrasound where you have the gel and the wand. Um, so with thermography, there's no contact, no pain, no radiation, no downsides, honestly, to having it done. It just gives us more information about what's going on in the breast area. And is there anything that's changing over time um, that's developing there, blood flow changing, inflammation changing, and it's really interesting kind of the clues we can get through this non-invasive tool. And then if something is concerning, obviously we want to use all the tools available to us. You know, I have so many patients that come and they don't want to use other tools. So I'm over here like advocating for them to use multiple tools because I'm not in the camp of one or the other. Yeah. And throwing the bath baby out with the bath water yeah, type of thing. Um, because I've been doing this for 13 years. I have heard it all. I've heard that the mammogram missed it. The ultrasound missed it. Thermography missed it. MRI missed it. 
I've heard every version of disappointment in women's cases. And so I'm a big advocate for women over thermography, over mammograms, over anything else. I care about women getting the care that they need. So at the end of the day, I think if we could have bigger conversations about the pros and cons, the limitations of each tool, and understanding what would be best applied, and usually it's a mix of things um, for women, then I think we could really get somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so away from dogma. And yes. Looking yes. at the and hype. Picture. Yeah. Marketing, you know, that's the thing. Um, even with the mammograms, it's like, this is all you need to do to prevent breast cancer. And all the breast cancer conversations are get your mammogram. Right. We got to do better than that. There's so much more to it yeah. um, on the prevention side, on the imaging side, all of it. So I can literally talk all day. But um, so with thermography, what you kind of um, brought up was the early detection. And what's mm -hmm. neat about it is that we're not looking at the structural view of the breast tissue. And the reason why that's so important as far as detection or, or earlier um, heads up about things is that with the body, with just the nature of things, you're going to have physiological changes before you're going to see a structural change. That's just the natural progression of things. And especially with younger women or up to, I would say, their 50s and 60s, you're going to have a naturally faster metabolism happening. And there's a can be very dramatic changes physiologically that occur very early on. So for instance, one of the keystones of, of breast cancer, not the only factor, but a major factor is angiogenesis, which is new blood vessel growth to feed the tumor early, early, early on. I think it's before it's a mil one millimeter or something, teeny tiny, something that maybe only an MRI would see. Um, and even before that, we can start to see some shifts. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for us. It's once again, it's not a hundred percent. Every single case has the same process happening. However, it's enough of the time where it can make a huge impact for women. And that's what matters to me. So, and we don't have any of the downsides. So yeah. why not utilize this tool? It's only going to help women. And um, if we can learn to kind of co, you know, coexist, yeah, complement these tools together instead of competition, yeah, that's putting women first. So, yeah, I think I, I love what you're describing because that makes so much sense. The idea of basically new growth, new pathways, new blood vessel, vasculature, that sort of thing being kind of a precursor or a clue. That was so impressive to me when I kind of started learning a little bit more about thermography and the idea early detection kind of what is what we're saying. But um, being able to use thermography as a tool for, um, I guess, a baseline. Like I know we, you've mm -hmm. talked about that before, you know, having um, thermography done 
And then just kind of coming back in for check-ins just to see like, is everything moving the way it needs to? Is everything staying, the things that need to stay the same, are they staying the same? Or is there a new activity that you need to look at uh, that feels like such a safer way to get a baseline than unnecessarily exposing yourself to radiation. But by all means, if you see something come up abnormally on a thermogram, do go get the mammogram, the ultrasound, you know, follow through with all the things like you're saying. I think that just makes so much more sense. You know, Mm -hmm. it's such a logical approach. Yes, for sure. And I love that we can start younger, like in the thirties, because you know, when you find something on the mammogram with breast cancer, it's been there for several years. So we want to start women a little bit younger. I think the reason why they don't do that with mammograms, well, one, it does need to be at a certain size for them to see it. But also younger women have denser tissue. And so you see more, unfortunately, there's more absorption of radiation when you have dense tissue, can be like seven times more. So that minimizing of, oh, it's not a big deal. It depends on the person, depends on the size. So larger chests absorb more. Um, And that example that they give you where they say it's like flying across the country they're talking about the total body kind of diffused exposure. Mm-hmm. But what is reality is all of that compacted mm-hmm. toward the breast tissue. One so it's area. a little misleading. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, and then you have up to seven times more of that radiation depending on the density. And then, so the, I think that's why younger women aren't, recommended to start mammograms at that age but with thermography we don't have those concerns and we don't have those limitations where density causes any kind of problem evaluating the breast tissue there's no issue with that and that's a very big factor I wonder too if that connects with also like the childbearing years the nursing years I wonder if there's with you know if that age, you know how 35 is the geriatric, I'm using finger quotes, the geriatric pregnancy age, which is just nonsense. But, you know, there's there's a cutoff and a rule medically, I think, for all of these different things. But I'm curious if maybe that's also a consideration that, you know, the idea of having regular mammograms starts at 35 because they know it would be dangerous to be radiating your breast if you're breastfeeding and childbearing years, you know, absolutely. You don't want to do that. Yeah. And they have to think about the total lifetime exposure. Sure. And the younger you are, so they, they're very careful with pediatric patients with radiation exposure, because we know that it has a more damaging effect when you are young. So I have a family member um, who has had to have or was advised to have mammograms every six months from, yeah, like early 30s. And so cumulatively, that is so much radiation. And, um, you know, my whole my whole kind of thing with detox and reducing toxicity and, you know, parasite cleansing and all those things, radiation is one of those things that accumulates in the body and does attract other toxicity, you know, parasites feed on radiation. That's one of the things they love Mm -hmm. to absorb. And so 
there's that weird symbiotic relationship of that we have with parasites, right? That they help us some, but they also take away. But the idea mm-hmm. of they're attracted to toxicity, including radiation, and then they consume it, which weirdly protects us a little bit, but um, is also negative because we get all their die off and all that gross stuff. So I think it's so interesting when we look at um, radiation just as a big picture, like, yeah, let's reduce that. Let's, if there's another way to avoid that, to reduce exposure, let's, let's add that into something that we're, we're working on with our health and in, in more of a big picture, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, we think that we have all this research that the medical community is going off of when they recommend things. And yes, they have a lot of research on mammograms. We have a ton of research on thermography that unfortunately most doctors are not made aware of. Mm. They are pointed towards studies from the 1970s. And it's like, wow. okay, we've, we've uh, come a long way since yes. then. Um, but then also I'm finding that there's such a need for um, research on more ultrasound use. Mm-hmm. And the combination of thermograms and ultrasounds would be an amazing study because with ultrasounds, we don't have radiation. We don't have damage to the breast tissue. And it's really great at navigating dense breast tissue, which is a, an issue that has come up more and more through the years recently with mammograms. They've shown that with really dense breast tissue, it gets down to 48% detection. So mm. it's like really not cutting it, to be honest. Um, there's an amazing research article that kind of summarizes a ton of research on this topic. And he says that. I wish I had the name for you. I can share it after. But he talks about how we have in the medical community really overestimated the accuracy of mammograms. Hmm. And so we think it's a lot more reliable than it is. And now we've got the 3D mammograms coming out, which is great, right? Supposed to be. But we don't have huge long-term studies with 3D mammograms yet, even though we're using them widespread. And we're using them in addition to screening mammograms. So then a lot of women are getting double dose, Mm -hmm. double exposure. Um, Instead of utilizing ultrasounds more um, heavily and leaning on them more, I think that's a really missed opportunity for safer screening and something that would cut down on the radiation. If we're trying to find tools that kind of step in and fill the gap, Mm-hmm. Without bringing in more radiation, I think thermography and ultrasounds are an amazing opportunity. I'm curious, because um, I have my own experience, but I'm curious if there is, a, not a protocol, but like a series of um, maybe steps when somebody does come back with something notable or I hate to say alarming, but you know, they do a thermography, they get the report back. And there's something concerning. Typically, is that when you refer someone to an ultrasound? I mean, what is what is kind of the process there? Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, the very first thing is, since I'm not their doctor, they need to talk to their doctor about it. Um, 99% of the time, the mammogram is going to be recommended as a next step. But if I see that the woman has dense 
breast tissue, I will tell her, hey, talk to your doctor, bring up the point of density, ask if there's, you know, a way to, at the very least, add an ultrasound onto the mammogram because there is a greater risk of missing something if we're just doing a mammogram, just putting it all on that one assessment. And I just don't want something to be overlooked for her. So, um, and then I have other women, I'll be honest, they absolutely refuse to do a mammogram. And at the end of the day, it's their body, right? We have to respect people's um, choices. And so, yeah. yeah, and I think that there's a lot of doctors who don't know what to do. They're not informed or educated on other options. And they'll have women just refuse to do mammograms. And then nothing is done. Yeah. And that's really upsetting for me and for for the doctor too, <laughs> because we know that proper care is not happening. So to me, I really want the general doctor populace to have better education on their tool on the tools available. Um, and then women are getting a lot better care instead of just it's all or nothing with mammograms. Yeah. It's really limiting. Yeah. So if if one of my um, patients or clients is, you know, has something concerning on the thermography scan, I'll be honest and tell them the pros and cons of each. For instance, like a mammogram is going to show calcifications better than other tools. The ultrasound is going to um, assess, like, for instance, if there's a lump, it will be able to tell us if it's just a cyst, right? It'll, mm-hmm. it'll see fluid, whereas a mammogram wouldn't show that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pros and cons to each. So some women, they'll start with doing an ultrasound if they're very resistant to doing a mammogram. And then we can kind of evaluate if that's, you know, a solid mass, mm-hmm. if there's just a cyst, um, gives us more information. And then if we have a subsequent thermogram that is continuing to be concerning, then I'm like, hey, we need to talk about this again. We really do need to consider getting further evaluation, even checking hormones, you know, digging deeper here because this isn't a normal process happening. And even if it's not full-blown breast cancer, there's something unhealthy developing and I think there's a lot more if we're going to be proactive about health care and, you know, get answers for people. I don't know. I feel like we just kind of do the bare minimum in healthcare care a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so much more we can dig into. Um, so, for instance, I another kind of prevention type of story. I had one patient who she was super high risk, lots of family history. I don't remember if she was BRCA positive or not. She had a lot of lumps and bumps and calcification, all kinds of stuff yeah. that anytime she went in for a mammogram, they were like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on. We got to check everything. Mm-hmm. So she was getting a mammogram every year, but then an MRI in between. So like every six months she was getting something and then she was doing thermography on top of that. We saw her for a few years and everything looked very stable. One year she came back and everything had changed. Hmm. We were like, whoa, this is a big change. And she hasn't noted anything on her form being different. So 
We were concerned about both sides. She went and did a 3D mammogram and nothing came up. And so she's calling me like, I think something was wrong with the thermography. (laughs) And maybe I was stressed that day or extra hot that day. And I'm like, that's not how it works because your body, let's say you're hot one day, your core temperature is maybe a degree up or something. That's a systemic change. It's not a vascular pattern change. It's just an overall diffuse Mm -hmm. um, change. So anyway, we got to talking and I was like, you know, you probably need to get your hormones checked because this is affecting both sides. You know, most of the time with something like breast cancer, it's going to be affecting one side. Mm -hmm. And when it's a hormonal type of issue, we're going to see it on both sides. So I was like, even though you didn't put anything down on your form, I'm just kind of letting you know that's something I would follow up on. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I forgot to tell you, I was put on estrogen patch by my OB-GYN. And I said, huh, you're really high risk for breast cancer. Did she do any hormone testing before she did that? No, I just told her about some symptoms I was experiencing and she thought I could use some estrogen, synthetic estrogen, right? great idea. So anyway, she went to a qualified bioidentical hormone doctor, did hormone testing, off the chart estrogen levels, which I have met. I see the faces of women who have been put on synthetic estrogen at a high dose and they develop breast cancer and they know that that was the cause. Wow. And it's horrible. Yeah. So I was just like in shock that this doctor was basically playing with fire. Mm-hmm. And if she had just been having mammograms or MRIs or ultrasound, none of those would show these physiological changes that we saw. And it was like, something's wrong. This is not right. Let's figure out what this is. And I feel like That was a moment where she could have developed something. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but the likelihood is pretty high. Well, the connections, the connections are there for sure. Yeah. So pretty. Wow. Good catch there. Great catch. Yeah. And I love how she was like questioning the, questioning the thermography. (laughs) And it's like, I understand that mindset. And I think we saw that in the research early on where they questioned the thermography, they said, this is this is like too many false positives. They ended up doing a retros- retrospective study of that and found that the majority of those win- women went on to develop breast cancer a few years mm-hmm. later. Wow. So it's this perspective that we have to really question our biases and mm-hmm. how we just kind of jump to conclusions sometimes and we miss the big picture. Yeah. Do you, so I know you run your thermography clinic in your practice, but do you also do, you know, the functional diagnostic nutrition coaching on the side, or is that just something that is adding to your educational knowledge? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I actually am doing that um, limited capacity because I've got other things going on in the business. Yeah, just running a business. Time. Yeah, it's not the full time thing. However, I just have a really big passion for that. And again, bringing the accessibility to people 
And now going through that program and meeting other practitioners, it is nice. Like if someone comes to me and they really want specific care with their kid, with a certain issue, I'm like, well, so-and-so would be awesome for that. And I have more confidence referring to someone where I know they, they're going to look at the whole picture. Yeah. Well, I think that that's so valuable, um, kind of in the space that, that you're in, you know, for example, this woman, this client you're just talking about with the hormonal issues, you're able to offer, Hey, do we need to look at the gut? Should we run a lab on your gut? Should we run a Dutch test, you know, for, for hormones? Like what are some other things that we could dig a little deeper into? And then the basics that, you know, we learn and we, I talk about all the time on my podcast about, you know, the diet and the rest and the exercise and the stress, all of these things. Because if you're just looking at the breast and wanting to make sure that no cancer is happening, which is really, you know, kind of how we're taught to view any sort of breast health, yes. just make sure there's no cancer. It's like, well, there's, it's a picture for sure. Um, so I love that you can kind of connect those dots for people. That's so valuable. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, it's, it's been wonderful and also a lot, but <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. Um, there was one other question I wanted to ask you about, um, kind of along the lines of hormones and maybe I'm kind of already, I'm kind of already was alluding to it, but you know, like the Dutch test or different, um, you know, you're talking about bioidentical hormones. Do you see that connection a lot? Like if something does come up and show up, do you see hormonal imbalance playing a big part of that? And if you do, what, what do you recommend or what are your next steps in helping somebody that way. Yeah. So it's really fun. I've been um, doing some imaging partnering for a, a functional doctor here in the Houston area. And so we get to go over reports together and I love it. Cause she's like doing the, Oh, and she's doing Dutch and all this stuff. And I'm like, yes, this is the, <laughs> this is a scenario I wish was more common for people. Uh, but you know, one of the patients that we were reviewing the report on had a lot of breast activity. And I was like, you know, I would suspect that this, you know, we want to obviously look at hormones because when we have an estrogen increase, we're going to have more dilated blood vessels. So I look at the breast blood vessels and see how dilated are these blood vessels? Is it, if it's more pronounced, there's just more likely to be either progesterone deficiency or some kind of estrogen dominance possibly going on. And so um, we talked about that, but then also um, I was like, well, I would suspect she probably has some kind of detoxification issue Mm -hmm. because we know estrogen is so reliant on the liver to process it out. Does this person have constipation? Does this person have MTHFR or comp issues or whatever? Mm-hmm. And so um, it was just such a delight to talk to someone who was so on it. And she's like, yeah, she does have MTHFR issues and we're working on this and that. And I'm like, yay. So, um, yeah, we definitely not. talked. Yes, yes. And so and then you think about bacterial overgrowth and beta-glucuronidase and just reabsorbing estrogen in the body from the gut issues. So. There's a lot to unpack when it, we think about the breast area. I'm like, it is so much about the gut. Yeah. And and then there's also the, the copper mineral, mm-hmm. you know, that side of things. 
even diet, I see a huge impact with people who are drinking soda every day. They can cut that out, come back for their three-month baseline scan, and there's a noticeable difference. Wow. I mean, it's our body is really impacted by all these factors, and it's not one thing. And I wish it was. Yes. That would yes. be nice. But we have to think about the whole picture. And um, stress is another big deal. So when you see research on breast cancer development, it's very, um, you're at a much higher, I think five times more likely to develop breast cancer after a very stressful event, such as a divorce, a loss of a family member, something like Mm -hmm. that. The next five years, your body, even if you have grieved or you've moved on from your ex Mm -hmm. or whatever, your body is having kind of a ripple effect Mm -hmm. from that. And so I think it's really, we have such a long ways to go um, with our culture of just like moving on and moving forward. And it's like, no, you don't want to dwell on the past, but you also want to process out. Yes. Yes. And get the support that you need. I feel like we just try to pretend we're robots and we're not. And so, um, I don't have a lot of training in trauma and that type of thing, but I absolutely refer out because I think it's very important mm-hmm. for our health and our, you know, God forbid you go through all that and then you develop breast cancer. No. Like we don't need that. Heartbreaking. No. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I think too, just touching on trauma, just saying, Hey, I see a therapist. That's like, yes. Great first step. But, um, oftentimes that's not going to be enough. Like you need a team, you need a team to help you process any sort of big trauma. And yes, trauma can be the things that you're talking about death and divorce and things like that. But I see a lot of people, um, you know, who've gone through mold illness or Lyme disease, you know, these chronic health issues, Mm -hmm. that's trauma too. So absolutely processing that, you know, I talk a lot about MBSR and, you know, kind of that sort of stuff. I know, um, all kinds of body work and somatic work, all of this kind of has to go together because just being able to talk it out with a therapist every once in a while isn't, that's not enough to get it out of the body, you know? No. We're a whole whole being, not just a body. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I also, I feel like I'm just kind of jumping around and as things are coming to me. I like it. This is how conversations with other women go. I mean, this is realistic, right? (laughs) Yes. Well, I was thinking about um, just throwing in kind of my two cents on my experience when I was kind of talking about the lumps that I had in my breast that I was really scared about um, when I weaned my last baby years and years ago. And I went in for um, thermography and did have some concerning areas, you know, had the follow up ultrasound and it was like, oh, these are just cysts. Well, they're really painful. They're really bothering me. I could have just gone home and been like, well, I guess I'm going to just be miserable and have this checked on every once in a while. But I had another practitioner recommend lymph, lymphatic drainage and lymph Heck support yeah. work. And oh <laughs> my gosh, the difference that made for me. Um, I saw this, <laughs> this lymphatic drainage. It was this Chinese, um, this older Chinese lady in the back of a nail salon. So (laughs) but she was amazing. Like she knew her stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, we had quite the language barrier, but she was trying to teach me and I was trying to learn from her, but she would do all this lymphatic massage. And she said she worked with all of these MD Anderson breast cancer patients. They would come see her specifically. Um, 
but she, you know, she's obviously just working on lymph. And I came to see her, I think once a week for four weeks in a row. And the fourth week she was, and lymphatic massage, by the way, is not at all like, um, a massage where you go, you know, have your muscles worked. It's weird. It's really light. It's working a lot on yeah. lymph nodes, right? If you don't get lymph massage and you think you're going to be like worked on, Mm-mm. you're going to be very disappointed. Yes. <laughs> very so light. I, it's very light. And I, but I bet about my fourth appointment, something in my armpit, like felt like it popped wow. and that whole side of my body, it was like the pressure in my lymphatic system relaxed and all of that breast pain was gone. Yes. And I was shocked because I had just been convinced something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with yes. me. You know, yes. um, that it was my lymphatic system. And I, in hindsight, now that I know all that I know, I'm like, well, yeah, I was so stressed. I wasn't draining. My pregnancy had been really hard. My breastfeeding journey had been really hard. So I'm sure my liver and my spleen were stressed and that was clogging up the lymphatic system and just all the things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I love that my story had a happy ending, <laughs> but I really had to go this non-conventional route, you know, of photography, right. ultrasound. But it needs to be conventional. Yeah. Because there's so many women who have stagnant lymphatic issues, which is something we haven't even talked about, but that is something that we see on thermography all the time. And so I'm constantly telling women about hydration, movement, massage, dry skin brushing, rebounding, um, sauna, sweating, all of it, and getting that freaking bra off. I mean, I know we have to be, we have different comfort levels with that. But if you can at least switch from underwire to something that's a little bit more loose, like wire-free, camisole, whatever you can, um, especially when you're home or at night, just be a little bit more free because that constriction, that pressure, even though it's light, it's constricting that lymphatic flow. And I've had women who came in terrified, convinced they had breast cancer. They were having stabbing, stinging, radiating, Mm -hmm. like you name it, like lots of painful sensations happening. And we do a thermography and we're like, well, good news is we don't see anything life-threatening here, but we see lymph congestion. Mm -hmm. And let's work on that and see how far we can get with your symptoms. And I had one lady who she would just sit and kind of lightly massage her underarms, her chest, and while she's watching TV and her daughter's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm taking care of my limp. Yeah. And her daughter starts doing it. (laughs) I'm like, yes. So anyway, she comes back for her three month baseline scan. Everything is, I'm like, Hey, do you still have this? No. Do you still have this? No. Like everything resolved. And that stagnation, that congestion. And we think about that with lymph, but it also happens with the gut, the liver, you know, any layer of our body that is stagnant, we're going to have issues. Yeah. So um, I love that that's such a powerful thing for women. Mm -hmm. And another one was where this is really like a something that most women don't think about with the breast area is the dental mm. region. So Ooh, we had a patient connection. who, That's so interesting. yeah, we also had a patient who had a root canal infected. Mm. It was draining down. And you think about just the way the lymph flows, it's going to come from the mouth into the neck, yes. into the underarms, into the breast area. And she was having like discharge from her breast and oh, wow. pain 
and she was terrified. And thankfully, um, she was coming from a naturopath who was a little bit more aware of these connections. And so he was like, why don't you just go ahead and do like a whole upper body to see what all is going on? Um, Because like you said, we're not separate pieces. We're all connected. And sometimes the area of pain is rooted somewhere else. So for her, we saw that inflammation in the mouth and it was on the same side as all the symptoms. And I'm like, you know, you got a lot of lymph drainage from the mouth. You got this, you know, inflammation, go get this checked out. She didn't realize she had an infection when she came in. So she would the case with most dental infections. Well, especially with a root canal because there's no nerve. So you don't feel anything. And even if you do have a nerve, it can be well along, you know, the process before the patient feels anything. So, and then, you know, if you go to a regular dentist, they might just do like a 2D x-ray and totally miss it and say, everything's fine. And you're still having issues. So thankfully she um, got proper care, got it cleaned up. Everything went away. All of it resolved. That's amazing. So, I mean, it's just, if we can get better evaluations, we can make better progress for people. And it's like, we don't have to be miserable if we try to use better tools to assess. We can get those problems resolved. So let me ask you this. I probably should have started our whole (laughs) talk with this. Help describe, I guess, two scenarios. I'd love for you to describe kind of um, the process, like if someone were to come in for their appointment and they wanted a whole body just to kind of look at everything and then kind of also give that example for if they just wanted breast thermography. So they come in, what do they need to do? How does it work? You know, kind of demystify the process for us. Sure. So um, our clinic, we've got um, a nice cozy little clinic. People come in and they're like, this is so nice and comfortable. (laughs) It's not cold and clinical and you know, intimidating. (laughs) So we're very welcoming. You come in, um, usually people fill out their paperwork ahead of time. So we already have that ready to go. We take them back to the imaging room and we go over their forms and kind of get all the details we need for the doctor. Then we have you get changed into a little gown. Sounds fancy. It's a hospital (laughs) gown. (laughs) It's not a, it's not a red carpet gown. gown. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wish. Um, So then we kind of have you acclimate to the room temperature for a little bit because any clothing on the body, um, we're going to have a little extra heat. So we have to give it a little time. And when we get started, we have you take a seat on a little stool. This is for the breast. I'm I'm describing Mm -hmm. the breast (laughs) scan, by the way. And so there's just you and the technician in the room. We turn off the lights. The technician keeps their eyes on the laptop screen. They're not like staring you down, making it super (laughs) awkward. Um, And we're really just like having a conversation the whole time. Usually we're pretty chatty. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we just start taking images and it's this little camera um, that is really, really amazing. (laughs) It's taking like over 300,000 individual temperatures temperature measurements per image instantly and it measures to a one-tenth of a degree so it's a very detailed process but it's painless and the camera's not making any weird noises it's just quiet we're just hanging out chatting the lights off it's very comfortable and the only limitation I would say is women who have like a frozen shoulder it could be difficult because you want to put your 
hands up on your head so that you raise your arms and we can see under the to, to evaluate the lymph nodes in the axillary mm -hmm. regions. So we want to be able to do that. We've kind of made do in some circumstances, mm -hmm. but that's the ideal positioning. And we take a few images all the way around, front, back, side, and um, angles. And then we point out any issues, like for instance, if you have a lump or if you have an area of pain, we'll make sure we mark that for the doctor to take a close look at that. And that's pretty much it. Then we let you get dressed and you, um, you know, basically get your report from us. You can do it urgent like the next day or within a week or so we get the report to you and we just send that copy to you. You get a copy of the images. And then um, if you have a doctor, we need to send a copy to, we'll do that as well. Um, so that's the process for the breast scan. And also we do go over the report with people. Now, Apparently, that's something that's not common with other clinics. Mm -hmm. They will just send the report and you're on your own. Yep. Um, very, very common. And so that's huge, I think, for yeah. our clinic to offer a review of the findings and make the sure you understand the language. Yeah. yeah. So We've had so many women where they kind of overlook something. They think everything's fine. And I'm like, no. And then other times where they're worried because they're like, oh my gosh, it says low risk. And I'm like, low, <laughs> you're good. That's normal. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's good to go over that, especially the first time. And then um, for the full body, it's basically the same process, except we're doing um, a lot more images. We do literally head to toe. Um, and we're doing a series of separate sections. So a lot of people imagine laying down on a table and this machine kind of going over them and scanning them, but um, that's not the process. So it's a little bit more like an x-ray machine where you're standing there and they're taking snapshots. That's a lot more like what the process is. So um, yeah, the full body is, is really, really thorough. The only areas that we wouldn't see are the bones and the brain because the skull kind of blocks any kind of evaluation. So, um, but other than that, I mean, we see sinus, dental, eyes, ears, carotid arteries, thyroid, lymph, um, that's the head and neck, you know, so a lot. And then what kind of, I know we talked about um, kind of a baseline, you create a baseline, especially for the breast and you like to do a three month, um, you like to do it again at three months. What you're establishing, right? You're establishing. Yeah. Is that same for the whole body as well? Is it a three month? Right. So the full body, what's really interesting about the human body is that everywhere else is pretty standardized as far as what's normal or not normal. So you do a full body scan and we know what's normal, what's not. With the breast area for a female patient, we are a little bit extra and we have... <laughs> We have really unique thermal patterns. It's unique to you, like a thumbprint. Hmm. So every woman has a slightly different uh, pattern. So when you come in your very first time, we don't know, is this the pattern she's had her whole life? Or are some of these markings new within the last few months? Hmm. And we don't want to make the assumption that what we're seeing is her unique pattern. It could be changing. And there could be something wrong. 
So we do want to check in three months and confirm for sure that your patterns are stable. That is your normal. And if it's changed in three months, we know there's something going on. Uh, Once we establish a stable three-month baseline, it's just once a year after that. It's really just that first time where we don't have any comparison. We don't know if that's your normal. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. We've had some women come in in their very first one. It is clear as day that there's something going on and we don't wait that three months. We say, hey, this is alarming enough. Yeah, We're not going to put this off. Go ahead and get it checked out. Yeah. Um, but there are other cases where it looks a little like it could be fibrocystic. It could be normal for her. And then in three months we see, yep, there's an extension. There's an intensification there. And we, you know, unfortunately need to follow up on that. Yeah. Well, I love that you are always recommending follow up and follow through. That's so important with any. And sort that's of not what any of us want to do. No. Right. And I mean, and I, we get we get a lot of fear involved, I think, especially around breast health. Don't you think? Yes. There's so much fear instilled and very a lot of disempowerment instead of empowerment. Um, there's an amazing doctor, Dr. Christine Horner. She's a breast surgeon. Um, and she was a spokesperson for, I think, the Susan G. Komen for a while. And she got a little fed up with the mammograms being the solution. And she's like, hey, I'm seeing women coming in for breast cancer surgery in their 20s. What the heck is going on? So she started going into more of the environmental issues, um, prevention, research, all the factors, and she finds how powerful magnesium is, mm-hmm. how powerful your vitamin D levels are, how powerful methane or endothecarbinol or, you know, basically estrogen, and progesterone. She goes into so much of it. And um, I listened to a training series from her, and I think she's just such a great resource. She actually works with people one-on-one um, if they need that. So. You know, there are some really amazing people out there doing the work. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be more mainstream. Yeah. There's a lot of empowerment things that we could know how to shift our odds um, against developing breast cancer in the first place. But so we're just told like not to drink three. too much or yeah. not to smoke. <laughs> yeah, don't don't drink too much and. You know, even birth control, I think, is. And even, yes, <laughs> birth control is a thing. Come on now. Um, it's a huge thing. And even the non-hormonal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's, I mean, how can you affect your fertility and your cycling without affecting your hormones? Even if yeah. you're not using hormones, you're affecting your hormones. So how's that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like talking about birth control, hormonal birth control is an entire episode by itself. I could talk a lot about that for sure. Well, uh, sorry, I was interrupting you, but um, do you have like top three? What are like the, what are your top fave um, advice, tips on um, any sort of like overall anti-inflammatory health, breast or not? Mm. Do you have a top three, like this is pretty universal or 
well, individuality really. You and I know you. there is some universal principles when it comes to some inflammatory things that are so normal in our society. Um, so there's really like the super basic, hey, sugar. Uh, that I like to hear. <laughs> you know, such a sweet tooth. I know. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but alcohol, I, I kind of harped on, you know, kind of teasing about how they mm -hmm. say don't drink too much. But at the same time, that is a really big thing mm -hmm. that people overlook. And even doctors are like, oh, a glass of wine a day is, is good for your heart. <laughs> you know, like, no, yeah. stop it. With everything else that our body is going, dealing with. And if we have fungal overgrowth, which is so common, alcohol yeah. is like dynamite fuel for that yeah. stuff. Um and they have seen some cases of cancer that are straight up fungal. Oh, wow. So it's like not a good thing. And we see that's one of the factors that Dr. Christine Horner talks about where she said there's absolutely undeniable research where the more alcohol there is, the more breast cancer there is, period. End of story. And so I just think, you know, if we're living in Italy and no pollution and really good quality food and low stress, then maybe we can handle a little glass of wine here and there. But that's not our world. That's not where we're at. Yeah. And so um, with everything else, I just don't think it's a good thing mm -hmm. to have regularly. Um, so I would say top three is super hard because, you know, as I an FDN, it's with all the things. <laughs> yeah. But I would say hormones, okay. gut health. So hard to pick a last one. Probably stress. Okay. Stress, gut hormones. I feel like those are huge beyond like, you know, the basics of, of eating well, sleeping, um, hydration, you know, mm -hmm. kind of those super basic mm -hmm. health care they're super basic, but we overlook them all the time. We get busy and are doing our things and forget to yeah. eat well, forget to drink our water, you know, don't sleep I, well. All I the, feel all like, basics, you know. yes, I guess the reason I picked the hormones in the gut is because I feel like those are areas where people think they're fine, but they're not properly evaluated. Mm. So it goes overlooked. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why I kind of pointed those two out because they're huge for breast health mm -hmm. and very often people think everything's fine and dandy and we do testing and it's not yeah. so, and then they're empowered. And usually there's some other little clues in their health. They're gaining a little weight. They're tired. They have painful cycles or heavy bleeding or irregular cycles or something that confirms there is something up, but we're just trained and taught to ignore those little clues. And then unfortunately, it doesn't go away. It's gonna build, so. Yeah, symptoms as the messengers. Instead yes. Of, instead of throwing Tums Don't shoot the on the fire. I know, I know, I know, we do though. Or throwing birth control at the, hey, my periods are painful. Let's just turn off the check engine light. We're just so guilty. No, we're so guilty of doing that. 
because we have to be productive and keep going and keep going. So rather than the messenger yes. telling women, us, hey, slow especially. down and investigate. Yes. And we're so used to putting ourselves last as women and we have to take care of everybody else before we take care of ourselves. And so there's a lot of encouragement that women need and reminders that women need that you are just as important as your child. Yeah. Did you know that? (laughs) You're just as valuable, if not more, because you're taking care of your children. What would they do without you? (laughs) So one of the things that, you know, some women, they'll say, oh, my energy is good. And I say, well, how would you feel if you didn't drink coffee? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. What if you, what if you didn't have caffeine? Would your energy change things? No. Because I'm like, how does your body function? On its own, without stimulants. Yeah. So that's a whole nother picture. Same Long thing with life. birth control. How are your cycles without birth control? Right? Yeah. Being honest or, with ourselves. Or without the Midol or ibuprofen. Like if you right. just had a period with no And crutches, you listen to how your body really yeah. feels yeah. instead of silencing it. Which I'm not saying, hey, throw that out and just sure. suffer. Yeah. No, but just being honest that it's not okay. It's not normal. It's not healthy. Your body's trying to tell you something and it needs support. Yeah. And it's not just turning it off. And if you go to your, you know, GP and they say, this is normal and fine, but you don't feel normal and fine, or your regular blood labs look normal and fine, but you still don't feel normal and fine keep digging, like keep Mm -hmm. investigating, keep looking for practitioners who can help maybe find you more information than where you're looking. Cause I think even though I'm totally agreeing with what you're saying about like, listen to your body and prioritize yourself. I think sometimes I hate to use gaslighting because that's such a like dramatic word, but I think sometimes we're not taken seriously enough by our symptoms because it's that saying, right. That just because it's common doesn't make it normal. Like, yes, cramps are common. Yes, these symptoms we're talking about can be very common, but don't allow somebody to tell you they're normal and then you just live on might all the rest of your life or birth control or whatever. You know, keep digging. The the unfortunate reality is that our healthcare system is ruled by algorithms. Hmm. So doctors, um, man, I don't remember which doctor was talking about this, but... He was saying that, you know, when someone comes to his office with a condition, he is supposed to go by certain, um, you start with this medication. Mm -hmm. If that doesn't work, you go to this medication. If that doesn't work, you go to this medication. Now, as a doctor, he might know this patient is probably going to need this third medication, but the system makes me go through this process. And so for women who have cyclical issues or hormone issues, what is the doctor going to say when they come in? They're going to offer them a couple options. Birth control is number one, typically. And I had one um, thermography patient recently who said she has really awful cycles. She really wants to figure it out. And she was talking to her doctor and they wanted to do a hysterectomy because she's had a few kids. She's probably fine with that. 
let's just put you on birth control in the meantime. And she was like, well, can I get some hormone testing done? No, this has this, this has nothing to do with your hormones. And I said, I said to her, I go, well, what do you think the birth control is affecting that your doctor is using to manage your symptoms? It's affecting your hormones. So how is that not hormone related? Yeah. So, you know, I really, it's a sad state where we're at right now, but I'm really excited to see more and more people learning on their own, kind of finding different sources of information that kind of opens their eyes to more options because the healthcare system is limited. They've got their options, but they're definitely not all of the options. They're not going to tell you about options outside of their system. Yeah. And I think, so. you know, I never want to bash on any side because I know we only know what we know. And right. The medical they're not trying to hurt the patient. They're trying to help them. Yeah. And uh, there's just so many options. I think that there's not enough education about, you know, mm-hmm. people don't know. Like, any, for example, anytime um, I share anything thermography related, like every once in a while, I'll, I'll share like an article on Facebook or something about like, you know, the benefits of thermography and, you know, early detection and things like that. And you would not believe the comments I get about what is this? I mean, even people who've never heard it, what is this? Where can I get it? Um, I've never even heard of this. Are you sure it's as good as a mammogram? And, you know, a lot of it is older ladies who mm-hmm. are really interested because they've had a zillion mammograms in their mm-hmm. life and either have heard stories of, you know, not catching things early enough for a friend or a relative, or maybe just, you know, the misery of, of regular mammograms are not comfortable. Um, and just wanting to know what are some other options, you know, so mm-hmm. I always have so many people interested whenever I bring it up or share things like that. And so I think um, there should be more education of, hey, here's just another option. Here's another tool in your tool belt. I love how you called it a tool earlier. Like that's the perfect description of we need some more tools in our toolbox Mm -hmm. you know yep and I you're doing that work like with this podcast I'm like you are building the awareness you're sharing the message you're empowering women you're giving them more education it's so needed and so powerful so I really really appreciate what you're doing and just the effort that you're putting in day in day out on this and making such a huge impact, probably much more impact than you even know. So I hope that people are inspired to send (laughs) messages to Stephanie. Thank her for the hard work that she's doing because it's a lot. She's got a lot on her plate and this is amazing. Really appreciate you. I'm so thrilled that you could come on today and just share all of this information because like I was saying, I feel like I just kind of mumble and jumble the words about how it works and what it does. So having you kind of demystify that and give us examples is so wonderful. And I want to make sure that I give you the opportunity to kind of share how people can find you, you know, your clinic, but also any online presence, that sort of stuff where where listeners look you up. So our website is thermographyofhouston.com. And then our Instagram is just at thermographyofhouston. And we have a Facebook too. We're a little bit more active on Instagram. Um, And then 
Yeah, I mean, you guys can call our office if you have questions. Our number is 281-803-5880. We're happy to talk about, you know, kind of the different options. We have some people call and they're like, hey, I have this issue. And we're like, you know, you really should do an MRI for that. Or you should do, you know, we're not just trying to pull people in for everything to do thermography. If we feel there's a better tool, we will let you know. If we feel that this is a great place to start, say, heck yeah, come on in because this will be a a good way to assess. I love too that you guys um, regularly do a mobile clinic um, because Houston is big. Right. (laughs) I love that you offer, you know, once a month you're at this part of town, another time of the month you're at that part of town, because that's really giving accessibility to people who maybe aren't aware, or maybe they don't yes. want to drive across town, or they don't have time on their lunch break, or whatever. Um, I really think that's cool and helpful that y'all do that. I love that. Yes. Yeah, we go to different areas around Houston, and then we also go out to West Texas, so Lubbock, Midland, and Hobbs, New Mexico. Oh, I didn't realize that. Cool. Yes, okay. I was there last week. And we just kind of fit in as many people as we can for the week and go out there every few months. And then we go to, um, we go to, uh, you know, all the different areas around Houston too. So awesome. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and just your, I can, I can tell that this is just a, a passion spot for you. This is where your heart is. And I just so appreciate you being able to share all that with all my listeners, but also with me. I learned so much. Oh, you're so welcome. It was a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So much fun. Well, and I'll see you next time for my scan, my next scan. So (laughs) thanks, Rebecca. Bye-bye. This podcast is for educational purposes only. The content expressed is not to be taken as medical advice. Please consult your own health practitioner.